This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is July 29th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Eileen DeCallis, and I worked at the station from my sophomore through senior years from 1988 to 1991. Okay. And what shows or programs did you work on at WRHU? Well, the biggest one was I engineered the Irish Country Show with Tony Jackson, basically from when I was cleared as an engineer, and I did it the entire time until the summer after I graduated. I did that even a little bit after graduation. Okay. And then, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Oh, um, I engineered some other shows like everybody else. I did a classic slot. Um, I did the jazz show a few times, New Age Images a few times, some of the other weekend shows. And for a while, I had um, an airwave show on Friday. Okay. Um, I was going to say after the Tony Jackson thing, I know that you were the engineer for a long time and, and, uh, many of us followed in your footsteps and, and Tony always spoke very highly of you. I think that was a way of his saying, do better without, without <laughs> being too critical. So, so you, you, de- you definitely set, set the, ta- set the bar very high. So well done on that. Um, what titles and positions did you have at the station? I was traffic director my junior year and station manager my senior year. Okay. Uh, When you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? No, I just used my name. Um, I didn't announce very much, so it was pretty easy to stay anonymous. Okay. Um, (laughs) I I guess that that was the preferred way of, of being on the air. You weren't interested in the fame and fortune of college radio? I just, I loved engineering. It, to me, it was one of the best things I've ever done. Um, announcing, I did it because I had to, actually. I, I did Airwave for a while. Um, I'd say over a year, I, I did a lot of times all four hours on Fridays. And I would usually try to talk one or two of my friends into coming down to visit so they could announce for me. Okay. Well, well, perhaps we'll dive a little bit more into that, but let's, let's, let's get back to the beginning. Um, I ask this usually as a two-part question. Um, what was it that first brought you to Hofstra Radio? And then if you could describe what the station was like, where was it? Maybe some of the people that you met, what it smelled like, what was going on at the station when you first arrived? Okay, sure. So I first went down, a friend of mine, Keith Johnson, brought me down and showed me two track. Um, He showed me how to queue up records, how to segue from one to the other. It just looked like so much fun. So that's how I got started. I took an engineering class and it, it basically went from there. So that was in 1988 and it was in the basement of Memorial Hall. Um, Bits and Bytes was above, as I think a few other people have mentioned when you've interviewed them. And I don't remember any specific smells, but I do remember they were um, they were doing asbestos removal at some point, which was a little unnerving at times to be walking through all this plastic. But um, but yeah, basement of Memorial Hall. There, there were some interesting things going on there, uh, to be sure, in, in the basement of Memorial Hall. So 
you, you mentioned that Keith brought you down to, to two track, which I imagine at the time was probably the Gates board with the turn pots. But but I want to get yeah. back to, to, to you. Um, you're not interested in having your voice on the radio, it seems. But were you interested in radio in general or was this just, hey, this is a fun thing. Come check it out. Yeah, it was basically a fun thing. Um, I, you know, it's funny, I was listening to your interview with Andrew Schmertz, and he and I never had this conversation, but his history is a lot like mine. Um, I went down kind of on a whim, because my friend brought me down there, and I fell in love with it. But I went to Hofstra, I started out as an, well, I was an English major, and I was going to be a secondary ed teacher. And then I just fell in love with the radio station and engineering. And for a while, I was looking at having that be my career. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was really more about just loving engineering, picking the music, the way everything came together, and the people. There were so many great people that kind of was my home for a few years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is that is definitely a recurring theme. Um, you said you came down during your sophomore year, so you'd been on campus. Were you aware of the radio station before that? I don't think I was. Um, I don't remember being aware of it. It, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I. It, it's kind of strange because I went down just to see what one of my other friends was interested in, you know, and, and then it became the biggest part of my life for three years. That's, that's an amazing transformation, uh, to, to not having really a sense that it was there. And then, uh, presumably you're there all the time. Yeah, I really was there all the time. I, even in the summers and winter break, I lived on campus year-round for a couple of years. So I pretty much worked there year-round for two and a half years. Um, I started toward the beginning of my sophomore year because my first time down there was during the summer, right after freshman year. So I got started right away when school started again on the engineering class. That was my next question. So so you've, you've had this introduction to the station. Um, what does it take to get you prepared to be an engineer? And what did you take in the announcing classes or any other preparation? So I, I signed up for one of the classes, you know, the not for credit classes that you could take at the radio station to learn engineering. And I forget how many weeks it was, but once you practiced while somebody else was really doing the engineering and you were cleared. I was cleared by Rich Radabali, the station manager at the time. Um, then you were just assigned a slot so that you would help out at the station. So I was fortunate enough. I did the Irish country slot because it, it happened to be open and it was just a great combination, Tony and me um, and his wife, actually Maureen. She, she took all the call-ins because he always got a lot of requests. So it was the three of us every Saturday evening. And then announcing, I know I took the announcing class. Um, I don't remember a lot about it. I took Jeff Krause's announcing class for actual credit. And 
I mean, I say this as a joke, but it's actually true. Somehow I managed to pass that. <laughs> what was it? Was it that it was a tough course or you just didn't like the announcing part of it? Yeah, it, it was more about me. Um, Jeff was wonderful. He was a great teacher. It's just, it wasn't my passion. I did it more because I had to. I really, really loved the engineering and the choosing music and everything that went along with that. Sound effects. I, I did a few projects not on air. Um, and I just really loved it. Um, was that, that announcing class something that you decided to take because you were doing so much at the station or were you considering changing majors? It was because of what I was doing at the station. I, I actually did consider changing majors and I talked to Jeff about it and he said I should stay an English major, um, because I could still get a job in radio that way. So I did, um, but I wanted to take the engineering, I'm sorry, the announcing class, mm. just so that I would be the best announcer possible for me. Okay. Um, do you remember anything about, uh, let's say, tracking or, or getting that practice behind the actual on-air board? Um, and I'm, I'm trying to place in my mind which board that would have been. Uh, that was in the on-air studio? Because I, I think, you know, the two-track was the, the Gates board with the turnpots. What was the on-air board like, if you remember? When I took the engineering class and was first cleared, it was also the turnpots. And then I don't remember what year it was, but it was while I was there that they put in the slide pots. So okay. I worked on both, but yeah, I was cleared with the old, the really old board. <laughs> um. Now, when you got a, you got engineering cleared and you get assigned to engineering Irish country, did you know anything about that? Did you what was your reaction to like you're going to spend your Saturday evening, which I think back then was five to eight p.m. You're going to spend Saturday evenings hanging out with Tony and Maureen. Did you have any expectations going in? No, I just I enjoyed working with them, and the slot was available, and Tony said he wanted me to do it, so it seemed like a win for everybody. And I didn't mind. I mean, I know in, when you're in college Saturday, you want to, you know, go out and do something probably other than engineering Irish country, but it was, it was wonderful. Um, like I said, he always got a lot of requests. People were calling in constantly all three hours and he did a lot outside of the radio station too. He emceed um, Irish well, just other things in the Irish community. I remember one time he took me to a beauty pageant where he was the MC. It was really interesting. I, I, I bet. Did he, did he have the tuxedo kind of look or was it a little bit more casual for this beauty pageant? No, he had the tuxedo look. Um, somewhere I still have a photo of him. He had a headshot and it was, you know, very well coiffed. He had the tux on. It he was, was great. He, he was just very well known in the Irish community back then. Yeah, he was quite a performer, and and you know he really knew what he was doing. He knew how to run a show. It was a lot of fun. It was very busy doing his shows, but I remember being a lot of fun, and the time just kind of flew by. Yes, it did, and yeah, I mean, I know I've said it twice, but 
a lot of call-ins. It was a very busy show. You you definitely had to be able to do things on the fly because he'd have a few records picked out and you'd have everything queued up and then somebody would call in and you have about 20 seconds left on the song and he switches things over and says, okay, you got to do this one instead. And you're like, okay, yeah, I have five seconds. Okay, that's great. But it was good practice, that's for sure. Definitely, definitely. Do you remember getting on the air announcing the first time? And if not the specific time, do you remember a feeling of, you know, before you get on the air? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you dreading it? Announcing? Yeah. Probably dreading. I think I think the first time I did it, it was really just because I had to. Um, probably nobody else was available. I know that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, not not everyone is excited about about being on the air. Like you said, you you, you had this affinity for for engineering and and someone else's voice is going out there. So. Um, you know, some pe- some people are super excited for it. I, I just spoke to someone earlier today who, who couldn't wait to get on the air, and, and some of us are, are not quite as excited about it. So I, li- I like to represent all sides because everybody's got a different take on it. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, who else was around in those early days when you were uh, getting there at the station? I know, I know you said Keith. Um, I, I remember, I think Keith used to do an airwave show. If, uh, if that reminds me, was he, do you know if he was doing a show like that or anybody else who was on the air at the time? I think he did have an airwave show for a while. I don't recall exactly when, but um, also one of the years he was there, he was executive engineer. Um, Tony Sibilla, uh, in mm-hmm. fact, preparing for this, it made me remember when I was first cleared to engineer one thing nobody told me to do was the patch first thing in the morning so it'll actually broadcast to the outside world. And my very first slot, it wasn't my official slot, but I did the Italian show Sunday morning and I went in and I didn't have the patch set up because I didn't know about it and nothing was working and I was starting to panic a little bit. And then Tony Sevilla walked in and I think he saw the panic on my face. I had no idea who he was. (laughs) And he's like, oh, you have to do this. And he just set it up and it was like magic and everything worked again. And that's how I met Tony. And he was down there a lot. He, you know, I learned a lot from him. Um, Rich Radabali, as I mentioned, he was station manager the year I uh, took the engineering class and got cleared. Uh, Ray Williams, she was traffic director when I was a sophomore and she let me help her. That's how I wound up becoming traffic director my junior year. Andrew Schmertz, as I mentioned, he was program director the year I was station manager. So we worked a lot together, obviously. Um, Jeff Krause just taught me so much. Uh, He taught me multi-track. I never took it officially as a class, but he taught me editing um, how to run the board um, and do sound effects and all of that. He let me grow at the station and take on more responsibility. Um, I wound up being station manager. He recommended me for a job. I was actually going to go into radio after I graduated and went to law school kind of at the last minute. And and Sue Zizza, um, I was in her two-track class, which I took for credit. And 
I just remember her always being available to us for whatever we needed help with. Um, she was an integral part of the radio station. And actually, she and I are still in touch all these years later. We, we have lunch every once in a while and catch up. Oh, that's very cool. That's, that's yeah. nice to hear. Um, there, there's, there's a lot, there's, there's so many questions in, in that rundown there. I mean, what good fortune <laughs> that Tony Sibilla was there on a Sunday morning. What was Tony doing there on a Sunday morning? I, I can only imagine. You know what? I didn't care. <laughs> as long as he, I mean, he made it work. So he was my hero that day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's usually Sunday, Saturday mornings. There's not a lot of people around, but for whatever reason he was there, maybe we can, we can ask him, uh, I'm sure he won't remember, but but what a what a key moment for you trying to trying to get on the air and and if if you'll indulge me for a second because I don't know that I could explain it, um, but you taught me so much, so I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on on your expertise. For those of us who don't know, what is the Patch Bay? What does it look like? What does it do? Oh, okay. Um, so when I first started, you would. When you, if you're sitting at master control, and again, this is in the basement of Memorial Hall, to the right, slightly behind your chair, there was this little um, patch bay underneath the counter, say, and there were four slots where you had to patch in two wires, and without doing that, nothing would broadcast. So you could hear it in master control, but you wouldn't hear anything anywhere else. And then at the end of the night, after Airwave or the weekend show ended, you took the patches back out. And that's yeah. that's a pretty great description. I I, I think that usually we, we would back in the day we would say, well, you know, this is like the in the old movies with the with the telephone operators where you'd have that quarter inch plug and you'd plug it into one spot or plug into another to connect. Exactly. Them, so. That's exactly what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, when you're getting started, you, you learn the very basics of that. And obviously there's, there's a higher level to connect the different uh, studios that were there, the multi-track or, or perhaps a, a remote broadcast from a game. But um, yeah, I, that's, that's, that's one of those things that I don't, I don't know what they do these days. I, I don't imagine there's a lot of patch cables, but um, I, I imagine a lot of people are listening to your description going, yep, I remember exactly where that was. I remember exactly what that looked like. Uh, for those of us who were there at the time. So thank you for indulging me on, on that. Um, when did you, in terms of getting comfortable at the station and, you know, socially, you, you know, Keith, so you have an in, uh, when do you feel like you got comfortable at the station that you were going to hang out there quite a bit? Because again, this is something new to you. It wasn't, you weren't even aware and then suddenly you're spending a lot of time. Was there a particular incident or a moment, or was it just a general feeling of, I like it here? I think it was the general feeling of, I like it. There were just some really great, also, I, I didn't mention them before, but the sports guys, um, Steve Goldman, Steve Oling, um, of course, Tony was there a lot, uh, Stu Rush filled, and... Um, Ethan Drylinger, they were all there at the time, and everybody was just so nice and welcoming and helpful. And I think they probably made everybody feel welcome. I know they did for me, and it I just gravitated there. It 
putting aside, it was just such a fun time. Uh, the people were wonderful. I learned a lot. So there was really no reason not to. And, you know, like I said, Rye started helping, letting me help her with the traffic logs. And it kind of went from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely helped that I had a friend who spent a lot of time down there because it wasn't in, like you said. So you get introduced to the regulars and then you start hanging out with the regulars. And then at some point you're a regular. Right. So eating lunch between classes, sometimes skipping classes, you're just, you're around the environment. And it sounds like that happened pretty quickly for you. Yeah. And that was a great description. (laughs) It was sometimes (laughs) in between and sometimes it was during class. Right. Because something, some discussions going on or some, something's happening and I don't need to go to that class. So that, that happens very quickly for a lot of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Or fortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, depending depending on, on, on what you ultimately get out of the college um, experience. So um, I, I, I can probably predict the answer to this, but usually the follow-up question to that is, when did you feel comfortable being on the air? And if I could guess, engineering, it sounds like you took to it right away. Announcing, not so much. Is that fair? That is fair. That is a very accurate statement. <laughs> Um, doing that airwave show, was that, was that something that you picked up early on or was that a little bit later on? Cause that, that Friday night, uh, shift that doing four hours, that's, that's a lot to take on. Yeah. Um, it started, like I said, I actually lived on campus over the summer as well. And Eliana Basla was the producer for airwave. And one evening I, or I guess night, um, I was around and whoever was supposed to do airwave wasn't available. And she called me because I was local and could easily get there and asked me to fill in. And I really love that kind of music. And I I filled in that one day and then I just enjoyed choosing the music as it went on. And so for me, um, it was about, four hours of choosing the songs and how they go together and just making it, I don't know, when, when one song goes into the next song really well, to me, that's one of the best feelings in the world. And yeah, it's, oh, I just loved it. And so, yeah, Friday, again, kind of Saturday evening, Friday night, here I am (laughs) living my life at the radio station. Um, but, but yeah, it just, it happened because she needed somebody to fill in. And then I really enjoyed, I mean, it was my show to the extent that I was choosing the music that was being played. And when I could, I got somebody to help with the announcing part. Well, whatever it takes to do that, to, to, you know, there's the part that you enjoy and then there's the part that, you know, maybe drag somebody else in. I think that's, I think that's, that's pretty smart and pretty clever. Um, you, you've mentioned a couple of times being there over the summer. And for those of us who, who spend time or during the intercession, it is a different experience. And it's, you know, it's a, definitely a skeleton staff. Do you remember maybe over one of those summers or a quiet time, maybe getting to work with Jeff a little bit? And what's it, what's it like meeting Jeff Krause? And you talked a little bit about him before, but uh, he's definitely a presence. And then you kind of have to earn, you know, your respect and time with him. Do you remember getting to interact with him at all? 
I do. Um, I, I can't say I remember the very beginning. I just always remember being comfortable talking to him. So I'm sure there was something that led up to that comfort where I was afraid of him, like a lot of people were. Um, but I have to say, and it, it, I'm sure being there over the summer when there weren't that many people around had a lot to do with it. But I found him to be pretty available and open to teaching when you had questions mm -hmm. and just if, if something needed to be done and or I thought something needed to be done, I would go to him and say, I think we need X and I'd like to do this. And usually he was okay with that. And that was part of my learning process is, you know, I think I was just in the right place at the right time. And I had the easy access because I was there when not a lot of other people were. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jeff was a professor there. He ran university broadcast services and he was kind of like a second dad to me. I, I feel like I learned a lot from him just because he, he had the time hmm. to give and he, he let me take on whatever responsibility I wanted to take on. Hmm. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That's really nice. Um, looking back, we can look through these memories and we have the benefit of hindsight and, and obviously uh, Hofstra Radio meant something to you. We're having this conversation all these years later. But can you go back to that, that feeling, that mindset, that sophomore year or that the end of your freshman year, whatever uh, it is, and, and you discover Hofstra Radio for the first time? At, at, at that moment in time, what did you think the station would mean to you and what did it become? Well, the first time I walked in, I had no expectations, um, but it really looked like fun. Mm. Um, and I just, I wanted to learn more. So I, I took that engineering class, Scott Cinnamon, actually, um, he was an alumnus at that point, um, actually a lawyer <laughs> and he was my engineering teacher. Oh, wow. So, yeah, um, Keith was kind of also my teacher because he's the one that brought me down there and showed me that very first time. But then my engineering class was with Scott, and I don't know. I just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it was, it, it was life-changing for me. Um, I found my place. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a uh, true of a lot of us, but it's, it's really nice to hear that, uh, that you kind of picked up on that right away and you followed it. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Because here I am an English major, um, planning to become a teacher and I walk into this just to watch a friend show me how something is done that he enjoys. And then it becomes a huge part most of my life for a few years and almost became my career that's pretty amazing thank you um eileen so much for sharing your stories and your time i've, I've been 
grinning ear to ear the entire time. This is this is really lovely to to hear your memories, and uh, I, I really do appreciate it. I'm going to try to drag out some more stories from you from your from your later years. Let's do that another time, though. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right.